0: You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. If you have not um, been with us the last several weeks, we've been going through the Gospel of John, and in Chapter 8, which we saw a couple weeks ago, and then even at the start of Chapter 9, which we looked at last week, we saw that Jesus was starting to call himself the light of the world. That was a title that he took to himself, and it got me thinking about light this week, and I was going back in my mind to, I don't remember if it was middle school or high school, um, but the nerd in me likes to remember these things. That I remember learning about the, I think they called it the dual nature of light, about that light functions in some ways, it's a mysterious thing, but in some ways light functions as a wave, kind of like a sound wave or electromagnetic wave, it operates that way has properties that way but it also acts like a particle like a thing a substance and it, it's a mysterious thing that to my knowledge scientists haven't figured out to this day but that light can function in multiple ways that it that it functions as a wave it functions as a particle and if that's boring you let me put it in more common terms that of light's multiple functions that just in day to day life light can have different effects on us can't it sometimes light is immensely helpful uh, if you walk i've tried to walk in this room for example when the lights are out and i've tripped over chairs or i have ran into things or ran into these steps and when the lights come on it's helpful to see and to know where you're going light is usually very very helpful to us it can help us to see Things, but there's a sense that many of us have experienced where light sometimes can blind us almost temporarily. Where you think, I think of walking out of a movie theater, for example, and you walk out an emergency exit or go out quickly from dark to light, and it's like, Whoa, the light that usually is helpful to you is actually in that moment blinding you and almost making it harder to see. And so, light is this mysterious thing in Jesus is mysterious in some ways. And that as he comes into the world, as the light of the world, we're going to see in this story we read today, that to some people he gives sight. He helps them to see. He helps them to see the world the right way. He helps them to understand himself the right way. But to others, that very same light of the world, he has a blinding effect. He has a, an effect of taking people who are spiritually blind and making it more solid, more definite that their blindness is there. And so we're going to read this story that embodies this, this effect that Jesus has first on this blind man who he gives spiritual sight to, and then this blindness that he gives to people who think that they see. And it's a long story. We're going to read most of this chapter, I'm going to read it almost in its entirety. And would ask that you follow along. And then we'll walk back through it and see some things that God may have for us today. But last week we saw at the start of John 9 that Jesus healed physically a man who had been born blind. He had come across him. It was a Sabbath day and he had, taken, he had spit on the ground, had made this mud out of it, had put it on the man's eyes, and had told him to go to this pool and wash. That's all he told him. And the guy did, and how we ended last week with verse 7 was that this man went and washed and came back seeing. And that's what we're going to pick up today, verse 8 of John chapter 9. I'm going to read all the way down to the end of the chapter. This is how John records what happened afterward, after this healing took place. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. And so they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. Now they brought the Pharisees to the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And this is a little aside that John gives us. He says, His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. That's the way they were just saying, tell the truth. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And that's nice when you read the Bible and people laugh. You're tracking along. All right. Uh, And verse 28, and they reviled him saying, you're his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard. That anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. And I love our Lord here. He says, It says that Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them if you were blind you'd have no guilt but now that you say we see your guilt remains it's a a wonderful rich layered story uh, that we can learn a lot from Uh, I think I would summarize what we see here and what John I think is trying to get at and even including this story for us and just a simple statement is that Jesus comes to heal our spiritual blindness. He comes to heal our spiritual blindness or to confirm it. That Jesus as the light of the world, he comes either to heal our spiritual blindness or to confirm it. Because you see by the end of this story, this is about a lot more than just physical sight and eyeballs, isn't it? It's a lot more about a lot more than just mud and spit and a pool. It's, a, it's about spiritual sight. That's where the story ends ends is jesus saying that he came that those i don't think he's just talking about physical sight in verse 39 when he says he came that those who do not see may see he's describing something deeper that he wants to do within people within blind people spiritually blind people like us and so you see this Happen, these realities of him healing spiritual blindness or confirming it. You see it happen in this story right before our eyes. You see it take place. And I want to walk back through the story and highlight a few ways you see this unfold. You see a man who was physically and spiritually blind actually gain his sight spiritually. And we're going to see how there's this group of people who think they see, who think they know so much, who think that they see everything rightly that Jesus is going to show as he engages with them that you are blind as can be, and you don't even realize it. And so walk back with me through, uh, we'll start back and we'll look at this in short little scenes because it unfolds that way, and just see how those things develop, how this man gets sight, and these, those who think that they see um, become even more blind. If you go back at the beginning of what we read today, in verses 8 through 12, you have this first scene where, uh, matter of factly, like John had said that this guy came back seeing. And what happens is that his neighbors and people who had been around and had seen this guy begging, they had seen him without sight. They had seen him probably for years. They now see him seeing. They, they see him walking around and not needing guides or whatever he might have needed uh, when he was blind. And and they are perplexed by it. Some are trying to figure out how could this be maybe it's somebody that looks like this guy but they're increasingly confirmed as he shares and as they think about it this really happened this guy who could not see never could see now he sees and you get a little bit of a glimpse into this man here we see that as he's asked about what took place he starts to just matter of factly tell the truth right he just relays what happened really simply that that he told me to to go to this pool, and I did, and I received my sight. But he's not yet seeing Jesus exactly right. He's not yet seeing the whole picture. His eyes haven't been all the way opened spiritually because you see uh, in, in this story, you see, like, even in verse 11, he refers to Jesus as the man they called Jesus. Like, there's this sort of distance, this idea he doesn't really know him a whole lot yet. Um, And even when they ask him, ask this guy, where is Jesus now? If he did this thing, the guy says, I don't know. I I don't think he's even talked with him since it happened. Uh, He's not aware. But you see that he's starting to to have a regard for Jesus. He's not denying what took place. He's just matter-of-factly relaying what took place. And then in the second scene, things start to unfold more. We see that as his neighbors have heard and seen this miracle take place, they bring in this group of the Pharisees. They, they go to these men who were, were these teachers, some of them, but these tight law keepers who had been very respected in their day. And it seems like they're just wanting to make sense of what took place. How in the world did this happen? I don't think they had bad intent in bringing these guys in to the conversation. They're just talking to these people, the Pharisees, trying to make sense of this. And so they bring the Pharisees, verse 13, to this guy who had been blind. And uh, John relays that it had taken place on a Sabbath day. But the Pharisees ask him, they ask this guy again, what happened? And again, he just matter-of-factly recounts what took place. But you see in this little section, verses 13 to 17, you see that there's starting to be this sight, even internally, that's coming to him. That this this belief in Jesus, this understanding that's starting to come to him. Because did you see down in verse 17, as these Pharisees are challenging him and trying to understand what took place there's this division among them but then they pointedly ask this guy so we don't even have to wonder they say what do you say about him like i don't care about your sight like that we'll take or leave that but what do you say about him and this man responds in verse 17 this is a major understatement but it's still true he says that jesus is a prophet that he's a speaker he's a spokesman for god and i want you to think about The situation he's saying that in. He has this man who had been blind has just heard back in verse 16. Some of these Pharisees say about Jesus, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. He has this guy's ears work perfectly well. They always have. And he has heard people say that respected, powerful people have just some of them at least said Jesus is not from God, like implying that he's evil. And then when they turn and ask this man, "What do you think about him?" There's this courage that's resident there. There's this ability. He he sees something about Jesus. He knows there's something supernatural. There's something significant about Jesus, and he calls him a prophet. So there's this understanding that's starting to unfold. But you see the blindness of these Pharisees, don't you? Starting here, and it's just going to get worse and worse. They they ask him these questions. They they want to know what is. What really took place? And at least some of them in verse 16 just write Jesus off from the get-go. They say, even after they hear this man say what happened and the neighbors have verified what happened, they still say, some of them, this man is not from God. They say it. Matter of fact, there's no way it could be. And they're, they're showing that they are blind. They're not willing to actually see what's right in front of them. And it goes to the next scene in verses 18 to 23 because these Pharisees or John starts to call this broader group the Jews, like the Jewish leaders, they're, they're not satisfied with the conversation and, and what's unfolded. So they actually bring this man's parents into the equation they have them come and they want to hear from the parents uh, whether this really took place, whether this really was their son or not. Because they're finding the story hard to believe. And the parents, even when they come on the scene, they confirm the story again, right? So it's more evidence that this really did take place, that this man really did receive his sight. They verify, this is our son, and he was born blind. And they they plead ignorance on how he came to see, but they're verifying with their own testimony, yes, this happened. Like There's no doubt this happened. But what you see take place here in this comment John gave us in verse 22 about this what was going on behind the scenes is that these, this group had already decided about Jesus. They, they were already threatening people in some way, In ver- you see in verse 22, that if anybody starts to say that Jesus is the Messiah, that they're going to kick him out of the synagogue that they're going to disband them, they're going to move them out from the people of God. And there's these threats that are starting to come because they assume they know the truth about Jesus. And they will not consider evidence otherwise. They will not listen to people who are testifying clear as day over and over of the miraculous power of Jesus. And you see their blindness getting more and more solidified, more displayed. They're not being objective. And so they... I I would note here in verse 18, notice this, how John phrases this. He says, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And so as those parents come and they testify, it's starting to be undeniable, I think, within these people's minds that they even have to acknowledge and believe something happened like a miraculous thing happened to this man and sight was given but they will they're not willing to entertain the the broader realities that unfold from that or what lies behind that of who Jesus actually is so they're they're having their blindness just be shown more and more and solidified in their actions the, the next scene as we get towards the end is verse 24 and following Because they're not satisfied after the parents talk to them. And so they bring back the guy again. And you can see this guy is kind of getting annoyed. He's getting kind of frustrated. Um, But they ask him again. And you see sight coming more and more to this man as he engages with them. You see there's still things that he doesn't know. There's still some little blind spots. Like in verse 24 when they have asked him or told him matter of fact, we know this man's a sinner, Jesus, that he answers them. He acknowledges whether he's a sinner, I don't know. Like he, he's, but he says, one thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. And so he's acknowledging there's stuff I don't totally get yet. I don't see at all. I don't know what Jesus sins. I, I haven't seen him in his life. He's acknowledging limits, but you see clear as day. And we saw it in, in what we read and even laughed as we saw it. There's this courage that's starting to come in this man that even as the most powerful people in his community are, are trying to force him into wrong answers into changing his story, he stands by it and actually starts to call them out. And you can see it, I think it's, it's hidden, but you can see it even in verse 27, the part where uh, we, we laughed, where he said, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Then listen to how he asks this. He says, do you also want to become his disciples? What's that implying about him? He's saying, I am following Jesus now. I, I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Do you guys want to join me? And so you start to see in his mind, it's not just that Jesus healed him, but he's starting to say, I'm going to follow this guy. I don't care what you all say, what you threaten, what you do to my parents. I'm one of his disciples, and there's stuff I need to learn, but you can see this sight starting to come to him. But the Jews, the leaders here, you start to see get more and more hardened. They still assume, verse 24, that they know the truth about Jesus, that he's a sinner, that there's no way he could heal like this. There's no way he could be the Messiah. And they continue to ask questions, but it's not with an intent to understand. It's not with an intent to actually see or have their eyes open. They think their eyes are already open and, and and they're denying it. They think they already know. And you see their blindness being put more and more on display. And then they kick out the guy, the one person who's trying to speak truth to them. This man who'd been born blind is trying to say, you can be his disciples too he's kind of mocking them, I know. But he's appealing to them as the one person who's speaking truth to them, trying to open their eyes, and they throw him out. And you see, they want to be blind, that they want to stay in the dark. They don't want to even consider that Jesus is the light of the world. And it culminates after they have kicked him out, verse 35 and following. I love that our Lord comes to the one that got kicked out. That he comes and he finds them, finds him in verse 35. And they have this conversation. And this man has this inclination to believe as Jesus starts to refer to the Son of Man, this Old Testament reference in verse 35. And says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And this this guy, he says, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? So again, he doesn't quite see it yet. He doesn't quite get it yet that Jesus is the Son of Man, that he's the Messiah. Jesus, in verse 37, in kind of this poetic way, essentially says, it's me. And I love how he says, uh, you have seen him. That's how he tells him, the guy who just opened his eyes, like, it's me. Like, I'm the Son of Man. I'm the one you guys have been waiting for and that you've been waiting for. I'm the one who is. And then verse 38, this man doesn't call Jesus Sir, He calls him Lord. He says, Lord, I believe, and he worships him. I don't know what that looks like, but John records that he worshiped Jesus. There is these light bulbs that have finally gone off this spiritual sight that has now been fully given to this man of who Jesus is. And he'd been given his physical sight back probably a few days before, but now he sees spiritually. He sees Jesus for who he is as his savior. And then Jesus says the statement that he came to give sight to those who don't see. But he also says in verse 39 that he came uh, that those who see may become blind. And so Jesus is saying there's this bigger picture of blindness and sight that, that he's wanting to give sight to some and confirm the blindness of others. And there's Pharisees nearby and they cannot bear to stand the, the, the thought that Jesus would say they are blind, that they don't see spiritually. And so they say, are we also blind? Like, how dare you say that about us? And Jesus calls them out. And it's, again, it's kind of poetic and don't have time to fully unpack it. But what he's getting at when he answers them in verse 41 is essentially saying, you guys think you see. That you are sure as sure can be that you see everything rightly but you are making your guilt more clear by saying that. That you are making your blindness even more, l- more legitimate, more confirmed by insisting that you see. Like you don't even see that you don't see. Like you are blind to your blindness and Jesus is trying to show them that and they refuse. They they are adamant that they see perfectly fine and that it is Jesus who is wrong. And so their hardness is sealed. Their blindness is... It's confirmed. Just in thinking of relevance of this text for us, there's, there's many, many things. I just want to share a few brief thoughts on this. First, I want to say that all of us in this room are born spiritually blind. I, even these kids, these sweet kids who get the privilege of being born into Christian families, and we're going to hear the gospel from day one of their life, and have already been hearing it, they, they're still born spiritually blind. We need the Lord to give us sight to actually see these things as true, to see these things as beautiful, to, to see the Lord for who He is and our sin for how serious it is. Like we are all born spiritually blind, but even further, if it wasn't for the work of God, we would be blind to our blindness, just like these Pharisees. Like we, we would walk around this world blind, we would walk into eternity blind thinking that we see, thinking that we know so much and that we understand everything the right way. But thankfully, the Lord does a work in our hearts that he can actually heal spiritual blindness. He can actually reverse that blindness that we're born with. And in our own lives, the first step, and this is the hardest step, humanly speaking, if we're ever to receive our sight from the Lord, is that we have to realize and acknowledge our own blindness. That is a hard thing for us, especially if we've grown up in Christian circles. We've grown up hearing the Bible. We've grown up knowing the right facts. It's hard for us to realize, I don't see rightly on my own. Because we're told all the right information. We're told all the right facts. And we are blind to our own spiritual blindness. I I thought this week about... uh, memory it's not a pleasant memory but it's not terrible but of middle school spanish class of all places Um, i used to not have glasses back then and i was i was usually like teacher's pet would sit at the front of the class and try to get best grades i could and all this stuff but for whatever reason i felt like really cool to sit in the back of spanish class and i was sitting in the back row of spanish class and our teacher was writing stuff up on the board like I don't know, conjugating something or whatever. And all my friends around me have all their little spiral notebooks out and are writing down everything that she's writing down. And I'm looking up at that board, and it just looks like a white fog to me. And all these kids, I'm looking just confounded. Like how in the world can these people right next to me actually see what's up there? I don't see that. And it it was enlightening to me in that moment. Like, I cannot see worth anything. Like, I wasn't blind, but I realized in that moment, my sight was not what other people's were. It wasn't what other people's was. And I realized I need to go to the doctor. I need to go to an optometrist to get some glasses, to get some contacts, to get some help to see. And we each need something like that to happen. the Lord, to have something happen in our life where we start to realize, I don't see right. Like, I don't see Jesus right. I don't see my sin right. I see the world being about me and about the things that I want. And I, I don't take sin seriously. I don't love Jesus or think of him as valuable whatsoever. Like we need the Lord to shine light into us and show us you need help to see. You are blind apart from my word. And then we have to go a step further and to realize we can't do anything to heal it. Like We are as unable to fix our spiritual blindness as this man was to fix his physical blindness. There's not things that we can just do to make ourselves see, to make ourselves love the Lord and to see him the right way. It is a work that God must do upon us. It's a work that he must do of giving us sight. And as as he is seeking to do that work, as he shows us our blindness and and is going to work to give us sight, when we see it from our side of things, what we are called to do is to receive our sight the way that God directs us to. That This story that Jesus gave this man direction, didn't he, of how to receive his sight. He, he put this mud on his eyes and he sent him to this very specific pool called Siloam and said, go wash there. And the, the assumption was you'll come back seeing as a simple command, a simple place he was to go, and his sight would be restored. And when, when God is going to give us our spiritual sight, when he's going to open our eyes, he doesn't direct us to some pool. He doesn't direct us to some church building. The, the place that you will find spiritual sight, the place that your neighbors or friends or loved ones will find spiritual sight is at the cross that is where God tells us to send those who are blind. That is where God calls us who are blind to say, that is where you will receive sight. When you come to the cross and you are able to to hear and to feel and to see that the Lord loves you in spite of your sin, but that your sin is serious, serious enough that Jesus had to die in your place for those sins. And when you see that he actually did, You see that he laid down his life for you and that he he gave up his life as a substitute for you. And when you hear that he was raised from the dead, having reversed all the, the blindness and deafness and stillness that had come to him in death, and he came back to life, able to see and hear and taste and touch, and he can restore those abilities to you in supernatural ways. The cross is where you will find sight. It's not a pool, it's not a building, it's at the cross of Christ. And those of you in this room who are still spiritually blind, I want you to know, if you come to the cross of Christ, that is where you will find sight. That is where he can give you the eyes to see this world, to see yourself, to see himself the way that you should. I want us who have received sight, who have been recipients of this healing of spiritual blindness, I want us to rejoice in that every day. To, to delight that God has helped me to see. God has helped me to see this world rightly, to to appreciate him, to, to see my, the ugliness of my sin, but to see the beauty of what he's done for me in Christ. How many of us are glasses wearers in here? Raise your hand. Oh man, a bunch of you. I feel better about myself. All right. So think about this. How many of you put glasses or contacts in Every day, and you almost never give thought to how amazing it is that you can actually see. I do. Like every, every day of my life, I put these on my face and I forget the wonder that I can actually see the back of this room, that I can see your guys' faces. Like, and we, There's a sense in which when we've been given spiritual sight, we've been able to see Jesus as beautiful and, and see our sin for what it is and have hope of the resurrection and forgiveness of sin. We see all that stuff and we just take it for granted. And we forget what a wonder it is that we can see it at all. That, that God's given us eyes to see it and to know it. And we revel in that and find that eternally sweet. But I also want us to realize that sometimes as we take this light of Jesus to the world, sometimes he's going to heal. Sometimes he's going to give sight to people who don't have it. But sometimes he's going to confirm blindness in people. Sometimes as we take the gospel to people and we take this good news to Jesus, sometimes it's going to confirm that they never have and never will believe in him. That, that they're content with before they hear about Jesus to just kind of walk around blind in the world. But sometimes when we bring the light of Jesus to people, they start coming at us. They start getting angry. They start getting frustrated. And it starts to show their cards. It starts to reveal their blindness and confirm it. We need to be ready for that. We need to be ready and aware that that may be what takes place. The, The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, he said that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. That is really happening right now to people you know. That that Satan is blinding them. And they're willing. They're glad to be blinded. But that is happening. We need to be people who are praying that the Lord would open people's eyes to see. That he would give them the ability as we share with them. As we take them to the cross. That he would give them sight. And we need to have confidence that he can. But an awareness that at times he will just confirm their blindness. As hard as that is to wrap our minds around. And as heartbreaking as that is. We need to be prayerful. And we need to be proclaiming that good news to them. I'll end with this. There's a quote from a pastor named Derek Thomas who, talking about this story, this very story we read today, said this. He said, You see, the story ends with those who thought that they could see being confirmed in their blindness and the one who was blind having his eyes opened to understand and appreciate who Jesus is. It's a picture of the gospel. This is how the gospel works. And we see it on display here in this story, the the healing work of the gospel, but the confirming, hardening work of the gospel. We've seen it in our own lives. Uh, We'll see it in the lives of those we take this good news to. But uh, may we who have received sight rejoice that we've been given sight. And may we take the good news to those who are blind so that they can see as well.